will, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 8, we want to uh, consider the words of Jesus in the parable of the sower. Um, The message this morning is entitled, Receiving the Word. So we're looking at uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? And when much people were gathered together, and there came to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. The sower went out to sow the seed, or his seed, and he, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up, with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now this parable is this, the seed is the word of God, and by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. And they on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy, and these have no root, or which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among the thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which, in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience, and God will bless his precious word. You may be seated. All of us at some point in time have been guilty of criticizing preachers and teachers for the manner in which the word of God was presented. What was said and how it was presented is often the central focus But in our parable, Jesus brings the hearers of the word under great scrutiny. As a hearer of the word, beloved, we we should be more concerned with how we receive the word. Now, the Bible says in James that we're not to be hearers only, but doers of the word. As the master teacher and preacher, Jesus made effective use of the parable. They were used by Jesus to help his followers understand those spiritual truths that they needed to understand. And uh, 
to hinder also the work of the evil one, the devil. Now, one of the most familiar of his parables is this one parable here in Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. It is the parable of the souls, or many people refer to it as the parable of the sower, but it is actually a parable of the souls. You see, the emphasis in the parable is upon the reception of the word rather than the sowing of the word. You see that? It's very obvious. Uh, In the language of the parable, each of us as hearers of the word are likened unto a little piece of soil, a piece of field, a patch of ground, a patch of soil, if you will, And when the word of God, which is the seed, is taught or or is preached or proclaimed, some of it falls upon our hearts. And as the word of God falls upon our individual hearts and and into our hearts, we become responsible for the reception of the word, how we receive God's word every time it's proclaimed, every time it's taught in Sunday school is critically important. A lot of times we are too busy trying to analyze the characteristics and the the, uh, mannerisms of the speaker, the preacher or the teacher, and we're not hearing the word. You see, it's more important what is said and how, how we receive it. How we receive it is actually the most important thing. So there are two very sobering truths here in our text that are clearly set forth in this parable of the souls. First of all, the condition of our heart determines how we receive the word of God. And the question of utmost importance is not only to me, but to you as well. This is an individual thing. We can't look at someone else and say, well, you know, I'm glad the preacher preached that word today because that sure does deal with so-and-so's problem. No, when we hear the word of God, the word of God is for all of us including the preacher. We don't have a right to analyze everybody else's problem when we need to be hearing what the Spirit is saying to us. So how are we receiving the Word? And then secondly, uh, first of all, we said the condition of our heart determines how we receive it. Secondly, how we receive the Word determines our relationship with God and there, and also with others. Folks, you can't properly relate to any human being if your heart's not right with God first. It's impossible. How many of us have tried to have a relationship with another human being and it just falls to pieces, but then we figure out that 
hey, we're not even right with our God. So how in the world can we be right with our fellow man if we're not right with God? It's impossible, isn't it? If you don't love God supremely, you can't, you can't properly relate to anyone else. Isn't that correct? So first of all, let's consider the, this first important truth. The condition of our heart determines how we receive the word. Let us again consider the language of the parable. I think that's important. As a congregation of hearers this morning, we make up a field, if you will. And each of us has a little part uh, in that field. And as the Lord scatters his seed, his word, through us this hour... Some of it might fall upon you. What happens to the word as it falls through your ear into your heart will be determined by the very condition of your heart. Beloved, this was true even of the greatest teacher, preacher ever. Jesus himself preached the word of God and it is still true even of us. In this parable of souls, Jesus sets forth four possible conditions of the human heart. Each will probably be represented in this field this morning. Again, in your minds, just just think about the, the fact that we are a field of soul. And first of all, we see the hardened heart will give a different response but it's indifferent from all the others. It's an indifferent response, this hardened heart. Look at verse 12. Jesus likened the hardened heart to a path that runs through the field. In verse 12, he, say, he, he, he says, Those by the wayside are those who hear. Then the devil, the evil one, comes and he takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. These persons have allowed their hearts to become so hardened that there is no place and no room for any message whatsoever. They are unconcerned, they are indifferent to the things of God, and the enemy is having a heyday with that. Oh, the devil says, oh boy, this is good. And he is very quick to snatch away any message from God before it has opportunity to influence that heart whatsoever. Such a person is to be pitied. They will hear, but at the same time, they're not really here. Have you ever talked to someone and you asked, are you listening? Yeah, I'm listening, but it's going in one ear and out the other. Their indifference to the message is not a sign that that the message is not from God, but it is rather a sign that their hearts are not in a proper condition to receive the seed of God's Word. The Bible says... In Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse 14, And he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. You remember Rehoboam 
in the Old Testament. He's not alone. The, the, there have been countless people throughout the ages who did evil because their hearts were not prepared to seek what the Lord was saying or to receive what the Lord was saying. But not only is there the hardened heart that will give an, an indifferent response, but secondly, we see in our text in verse 13 that there's that shallow heart Verse 13 says, But the ones on the rock are those when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. Rocky soil is the kind where the, there is only a thin layer of topsoil on, on top of some rocks, and it is characteristically shallow, and without the needed moisture and nutrients to allow the plant to grow and, and develop a root system, and it will die. Yeah, sure, you can get a seed to come up on top of a rock if you get if you get uh, you know just the right condition. But if it can't get if it if it's only that deep, it's not going to last long, will it, Herschel? Those pepper plants won't last long unless they've got something for those roots to go down into and 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 be nourished. I've never known anybody grow uh, a, a crop of corn on on a sidewalk. Have you? Now there may be there may be enough enough dirt for it to come up sprout and come up for a little while, but after a while it's going to die. You see. Some hearers are like this. Their response is usually very emotional and even perhaps enthusiastic. They are the kind that can lift the heart of the, of the preacher to the very heights of glory only to shatter him with disappointment. Their commitment to the word is so shallow to the word of God that, that they, they, they do fine for a moment, but they fall away quickly. They will not be able to withstand even a little negative pressure from the world or even the temptation that comes their way. They have the tendency to say, I'll stick with it through thick and thin. But when the going gets tough and rough, they're out of here. They respond in this way to God's word because this is the kind of person they have become. They usually respond to everything in life like this. They are ever-changing and never coming to a real personal commitment to anything. They lack stability. They're tossed with the wind to and fro and every wind of doctrine that comes upsets their apple cart. Then thirdly, we see the divided heart. The divided heart will have the word choked out. 
Jesus likened this person to a part of the field in which the thorns grow. Notice our text in verse 14. And what fell upon the thorns are those who when they have heard go out and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. This heart is already full when the word finds place in it. While an attempt is made to make a place for the word, it is in the midst of all the distracting commitments that are already there. In verse 14 of our text, notice Jesus lists some of these, the thorns as being the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. By cares, he refers to those anxieties and worries that characterize the world about us. And by reference to riches here, I believe he's referring primarily to that desire for riches and trust in riches is so much part of our world. But the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The phrase pleasures of life here in our text does not necessarily refer to just those gross pleasures that we often think about in the world. It is anything to which a person looks for pleasure and delight. What should be the pleasure and delight of the redeemed of the Lord? It should be the Lord himself. Every waking moment of our existence ought to be, Lord, what do you want me to do in this particular situation? How do you want me to relate to this kind of conflict? How do you want me to relate to this kind of, 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 of problem in my life or in this world? Either we're a part of the solution are we are a part of the problem. We are just as much the problem as anyone else when we don't trust the Lord. Remember, it is this condition of the heart that determines how we receive and obey the word. And then fourthly, we come to the good heart. The good heart receives the fruit fully. Our text says in verse 15, follow along. But what fell on the ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit. That's important. In this heart, all distractions have been removed. He is prepared to hear the word of God. He is here. He is ready to obey the word of God. His heart is one that brings satisfaction, for there is an abundance of fruit. It's almost to the point that he says, Lord. And you're, you're just blessing me with all this fruit. Lord, I don't know if I can handle all this. <laughs> and you want to share it with others. 
But once again, the response to the word is determined by the condition of that heart. That's why the psalmist of old said in Psalm 34, 18, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. He says again in Psalm 51, 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And then uh, once again in, in Psalm 51, 17, He says that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. Thou wilt not despise. The Lord inclines his ear to those who are humbly contrite and broken. In reality, all of us, every day, every, day, every moment of our lives should have a broken attitude. In that, I'm not saying think uh, beat ourselves up or think less of ourselves. That's not what I'm saying. I'm thinking compared to God, we're nothing. When we approach his throne of grace, when we, when we enter into his presence, and when we enter into the, the worship experience, it ought to be, Lord, I'm nothing and you're everything. Lord, I'm, I'm helpless and I'm hopeless, but you are my help and you are my hope. Lord, I have nowhere to turn to, but you are my refuge. Lord, I'm stumbling and I'm falling, but you're my solid wall. You're the rock, the foundation of my life. You are my everything. And when we look at others, instead of despising them and, and condemning them and, and, and looking down on them, we say, but for the grace of God, there go I. But don't just... Just think that or spout that off. Go and try to minister and help them with that good heart. Because the person who had the soil, uh, you know, the piece of patch, the patch of soil where there's that good heart. Lord, you're going to try to be like Jesus. You're not going to beat upon your breast and say, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like that sinner. But for the grace of God, I would be there. And right now, even in my position of being in Christ, of being a heir and a joint heir with Jesus, Lord, I am nothing. I don't deserve it. Beloved, our hearts must become our focus for it is with the heart that our response is determined. What kind of soul, what kind of field are you? Do you have that good heart that receives the fruit fully and you're grateful and you're kind and you're generous and you give to others out of that abundance of fruit that the Lord has bestowed upon you or enriched you with? Let's consider the second and final truth. We've already talked about the condition of our heart determines how we receive the word. But finally, how we receive the word determines our personal relationship with God. I know we've already touched on this somewhat. But notice Jesus states this more clearly in the description 
of the wayside response. Look again at the text in verse 12. The latter part says, Lest they should believe and be saved. The hearing of the word creates the opportunity of the word of the believe to the believer and thereby to be saved this is the reason that the enemy and the enemy is the devil is so quick to snatch away the word he does not want the powerful effectual seed of God's word to penetrate anyone's heart and in his description of the four responses or four types of soils, our Lord really sets forth the essentials for proper response to the word. How are we to receive the word so that we might be saved and bear much fruit for the pleasure and glory of God? Now this last point is practical. So listen carefully. The word must be received with real interest. This is the opposite of the hardened heart we talked about previously. If the seed of God is to ever find a fruitful place in our lives, then we must first of all hear it with open hearts and minds. God rarely ever speaks to those who have no interest in hearing from Him. Listen, if there's no desire to be saved, there probably won't be any salvation. I know how the sovereignty of God works and how he effectually calls, but still, until a person understands they're lost, they can't be saved. How in the world can a lost man who doesn't think he's lost be saved? Now, we know it's all by the grace of God that this comes about. Amen? But listen, there are a world of people who have no real interest. They can care less about what we're doing this morning. That ought to break your heart. And we ought to be praying. We ought to be praying while we go and testify and witness to them and tell them about the love of Jesus as shed abroad in our hearts. What a difference he makes. But... They want to see a manifest difference in our lives. We can't just talk the talk. We have to do more than just talk the talk. We have to walk the walk. How in the world would the black man in our community believe you when you try to witness to him because you're concerned about him dying and going to hell, but, but he's heard you previously use the N-word? I'm not saying anyone here has done that. But I hear preachers, I hear preachers, Herschel, that use the N-word. But then they'll get up in the pulpit and talk about, oh, how we need to reach the whole world. That's just one example. How about poor people? Most of us are not in, in here, not wealthy, are we? I really consider myself pretty poor. <laughs> I'm a Baptist preacher after all. I'm not one of these televangelists. But sometimes in churches we, we have our nice 
facilities and structures, but let someone come in that we perceive they're not, these people aren't going to be able to give a, a stinking dime to our, our financial coffers, our, our money bags, you know, so we don't want them. Even, you know, if there's 30 precious souls that come in, but we consider them white trash. We don't want them. Well, folks, in, in the sight of God, our righteousness causes us to be filthy rags. Because compared to him, we're self-righteous. And our righteousness is stinking, putrid, rotten, vile. Stenches in his nostrils unless we know Jesus. The only reason we smell good to to God is because of Jesus. Right, Herschel? Mm, I didn't mean to get off on that, but I'm telling you the truth and you know it. And if it doesn't apply to you, fine. If it doesn't, say praise the Lord. And if it it does, then say, oh me, and get it right. The word must be received with real commitment. We must stand on the solid ground, which is Jesus. We we need the kind of commitment which will cause us to withstand any trial, any storm, any temptation that comes our way. And then the word must be received with a whole heart. Not only with real interest and real commitment, but with a whole heart. If the word is ever to have a saving place in your life, then it must have all of you. Partial commitment will not do. Listen, when those early disciples and even in the Old Testament economy, those who trusted God and their faith was counted unto them for righteousness, it wasn't like, oh, well, well, Lord, I... I'll get over there one of these days and follow you. Or, or, or someone comes down the aisle today and say, Lord, I, I, I want you to save me from hell, but there's some things in my life I just can't, I just don't think I can, I can't give up some of these things right now because, you know, it's, it's, I just like them too much. God won't save anyone who's not willing to give up everything. Let me tell you an illustration. Let me give you an illustration of my grandson. Two years ago, and he's he's mixed. But that doesn't matter to me. He's a human being. He's a precious soul. He's my grandson. I love him. And don't ever don't let anyone ever say anything bad about him. But he's a beautiful young man. Two years ago, the previous year, he'd been under conviction. He was talking to his Ghana about salvation because he, she faithfully uh, did, did bedtime stories with him and told him about Jesus. And, and, but he was into these uh, games, these video games and, 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 and whatnot. I'm, not, I'm technologically challenged. I don't know what they're called. But anyway, he was into all that. And, and he said, I, I can't give up some of these things. I, I want to trust Jesus, but I'm not going to give up some of these things. And some of these things were questionable. I can't give them up. And he was, it, it, and there was a sense of brokenness about the fact that he wanted to trust Jesus, but he also wanted to hold on to the pleasures of this world. What he didn't realize is God will allow us to have good pleasures when we give our all to him. But the next year, the next summer, at church camp, 
that we as ABBA put on there uh, at, at the campground uh, near Paragul, he couldn't stand it any longer. And after the preacher preached, he looked at me and and it wasn't but a split second. He dashed over to me and said, Bubba, I can't, I can't say no to Jesus anymore. I can't hold on to what I want and desire in this life and have Jesus. I want Jesus no matter what I have to give up. And then it dawned on him that, hey, the Christian life is not a life of boredom. It's not a life of drudgery. It's, yes, it's a hard life. And yes, you know, it's a life of commitment. But it didn't mean that he had to give up, uh, you know, everything. See, a lot of times people think, well, you know, uh, you know, I can't eat catfish anymore, or I can't eat bacon, or I can't go to a movie, or I can't go to a ball game, or I can't have fun anymore. Now, granted, we ought to think... Uh, we ought to think uh, long and hard about some of the things we take in as our pleasure. If things defile, if things uh, cause us to cause another person to stumble. But see, he got it. But I don't think it means the pleasures of this world mean as much to him as they once did. Now the problem is, He's, he needs to be discipled, and he's in a situation. He'll pray for him. His name is Aiden. Pray for him. He, I believe he really knows the Lord, and, 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 and I can relate. He's in that, he's in that situation he, you know, where he's not really getting discipled like he should. And that's hard for a Christian. It's hard. But partial commitment will not do. My grandson gave his whole heart. Jesus he was absolutely broken to the point he said I can't fix it God Jesus will you fix it he still loves to hear his Ghana read to him and tell him Bible stories when he comes to see us and then fourthly the word must be received with a lasting commitment <clears throat> Jesus emphasizes this when he says in verse 15, with patience. This means with endurance. It is a reception of the word that holds on to the word and will not let go. It's like a, a tenacious bulldog grabbing hold of something and not letting go. That's the way it is. Listen, Simon Peter voiced it when he said, To whom shall we go? Thou hast the, the words of eternal life. It is the same kind of reception of God's word that causes us to go, do, and say, and be what Jesus has asked us to do. It's the same kind of attitude and commitment that when the Lord says to preach, you preach. When the Lord says you go to your neighbor, you put legs to your words and your prayers after their house is burned down. And you don't just say, well, bless you, God bless you, I'll be praying for you. You put legs to it and you go and you say, here's some food. And what kind of, uh, tell me the clothes.
exercises you, you need. What can we do? I've got an extra bedroom you can stay in until you, know, you find another home. That's what the Christian life is about. That's this kind of lasting commitment that comes from the Word properly received. It's when we can look at our neighbor, whether they're poor or rich, or black, Hispanic, ugly, beautiful, educated, uneducated, cantankerous, easy to get along with. Maybe it's a town drunk. Maybe it's someone who's been to prison. And they're out. We're going to continue to condemn them. Are we going to find a way to reach out and say, "Hey, but for the grace of God, I could have been where you were." Now, I'm not saying if someone went to prison for being a, a pedophile. But hear me now. This is this is serious business. This grieves my heart. When someone who, sure, they were guilty and they paid their dues, they get out of prison, they come back into society, they come to church, and the church shuns them. There's no redemption for you here, yet God redeemed them. Perhaps God saved them in prison, but we don't have any room for them in our hearts. No, you don't put, if someone is guilty of something and they've paid their dues, you don't put them working in the nursery. No. If they embezzled money and, but they paid their dues, you don't put them in charge of the treasury. You see what I'm saying? But there's got to be grace. And there's got to be mercy. And there's got to be compassion. And there's got to be the attitude, yet go I. If we're going to have a true heart. Where the seed is properly growing. And maturing in our lives. Let's stand. Let's stop critiquing one another, criticizing one another, analyzing one another, and just simply hear and do the Word of God. Father, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you've said to us. Not only in this message, but in every, in every situation where we hear your word, we read your word, we recall scriptures we've read, we do our devotional times. Lord, help us to ask the question, Lord, it's me. I know it's me, Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I know it's me who's standing in the need of forgiveness. I know it's me who needs the help 
not my brother, not my sister. Lord, would you help me? We're going to, we're just going to go through a couple of verses. We just play, we just play through this, okay? Just for a little bit, and I'll indicate when it's time to stop. Anybody need to come and I know we want to socially distance, but anybody need to come pray? This is the time to do it. Or if you just do business with God right there where you stand.